Hey there, everybody. This is Stuart Carlton with Illinois Indiana Sea Grant. And uh, before we get into the first episode of Teach Me About the Great Lakes, I wanted to give you a little bit of background about Teach Me About the Great Lakes. I am a lifelong Gulf South resident who has moved up to Purdue to work for Illinois Indiana Sea Grant. And I realized that um, there's a lot about the Great Lakes that I don't know, a lot that I could still learn. And I thought, what better way to have that happen uh, then through a podcast. And so that was the inspiration behind starting this. Now, the episode that you are about to hear was originally going to be the second episode of Teach Me About the Great Lakes, but due to a variety of scheduling things, it ended up being the first episode. So as a result, there's some stuff that I should have said in there that I didn't say that I'm going to say now. Of course, one could argue that I should have said all of that stuff regardless, because you don't only say things in the beginning of the first episode of the podcast. But, uh, well... I didn't. So here I am. Anyway, uh, here's the rundown. This is going to be a monthly podcast, somewhere in the half hour range if everything works out well. We hope to have a variety of really great guests to teach us everything from the very basics about the Great Lakes to more detailed sort of uh, specific issues like uh, today's interview with Sarah Zach about microplastics. We will feature a variety of people from Illinois, Indiana Sea Grant, a variety of researchers who work on Great Lakes issues, and a variety of otherwise interesting people. The main idea is that by the end of this podcast, whenever it ends, be that in six months, be that in six years, uh, you know, you'll have a really good idea. Well, I'll have a really good idea. And then you as the listener will also have a really good idea about uh, what it is that makes the Great Lakes so great. What makes them unique? What makes them special? What are the challenges? And those sorts of things. And uh, let's see. So, I'm also supposed to remind you to please rate and review the show. I failed to do that. Uh, please subscribe to the show. Uh, you can look for links where the show notes are, which will be both at the Illinois Indiana Sea Grant webpage and elsewhere, but we're still building out the website for this. And then finally, if you have any questions, hit us up on Twitter. Uh, you'll hear the guests announce their Twitter handles. You will also be able to contact the show directly at, at Teach Lakes, which I failed to announce in this podcast because it wasn't set up yet. And uh, if any other questions, just find us through the website. For now, I hope you enjoy the show. Look forward to your feedback. And I look forward to together learning a lot about the Great Lakes. Thank you. Welcome to Teach Me About the Great Lakes, a podcast in which I get people who are smarter and harder working than I am to teach me about the Great Lakes. My name is Stuart Carlton, and I work with Illinois Indiana Sea Grant, and I'm a natural resources social scientist by training. So I know a bunch about people and their behavior, environmental behaviors, uh, how science influences people, how to communicate about science, but I don't know much about the Great Lakes. And so uh, we've started this podcast. And with me, as always, is Illinois Indiana Sea Grants Communications Coordinator, Hope Charters. Hope, how's it going? Hey, Stuart. I'm great. How are you? I'm also doing good. I was at the doctor last night with a back thing, so I'm all hopped up on painkillers and caffeine and ready to roll. What do you know about the Great Lakes? Um, I know next to nothing. I don't have a science background, and so learning from our specialists is really fun for me. So one of the things we talk about a lot at Illinois Indiana Sea Grant is this idea of microplastics. And, and I, I kind of know what they are, but, but not really. And so I'm especially excited about the chance to bring in Sarah Zach so that she can teach us all about them. All right. And we're here today with uh, Illinois Indiana Sea Grant's Pollution Prevention Extension Specialist, Sarah Zach. How are you, Sarah? I'm great. Thank you for having me. 
Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for coming on. And Sarah is going to teach us today all about uh, this thing that I keep hearing about, but I, I don't know a lot about, which is microplastics. This is kind of a, an emerging contaminant. Is that right? Yeah, you could say that. So what, what exactly are, I mean, I can sort of figure it out, right? Micro means small, plastic yeah. means plastic, I guess. Uh, but, but what is a microplastic exactly? Yeah. So, I mean, it is, as the name implies, small pieces of plastic. Um, but the, the technical definition is that these are pieces of plastic that are less than five millimeters in size. So really, really small pieces of plastic. Yeah. Five millimeters. What is that? That's like a uh, that's way less than an inch, huh? I don't it have is, a ruler in front of me. It's it's half a centimeter for those of us on the metric system. Oh, there we go. Well, we know 2.54 centimeters is an inch. So this is, uh, it's very little. Yes, very little. Yeah. Some of them can't be seen with the naked eye. Oh, my goodness. Well, my eyes are never naked thanks to my glasses, but I get your point. <laughs> um, <laughs> the rest of me, though, uh, on a regular basis. Uh, so so where do, where do these things come from? So the, source of, the sources of microplastics um, vary depending on what kind of microplastics we're talking about. And there are a variety of different kinds. So um, there are what are known as primary microplastics, which are things that are created in the form that they're in. And, and those are things like um, microbeads. Microbeads are the, the most um, widely known, I think, example. Um, like, like in like my face rinse, that kind of. Yes, yes. Huh. And the other type of um, of bead type microplastic is a pellet, or and this is my favorite. They're also called nurdles. Nurdles. Yeah, <laughs> I love going into a room full of people in suits and telling them about nurdles. Telling them all about your nurdles. What yeah. do, do you know where that comes from? Nurdle? I don't know. I don't. But but I mean, what it is is it's um, small round pieces of plastic. Usually they're a little bit bigger than the microbeads um, yeah. and they're used to mold larger pieces of plastic. So the example I always use is like if you go to the zoo and you see those moldorama things where you can mold a, an animal or, or something like that, it's they're taking nurdles, they're taking these plastic pellets and they're heating them and they're molding them into larger pieces of plastic. And those things get lost at sea and on trucks really, really often. Mm. So it's kind of like the opposite of the shrinky dinks. I, I think I've seen those. Yes. Okay. Have you yeah. guys ever eaten those nerds when you were kids? Yeah. That's what I'm imagining these nurdles yes. being. It basically... Yes. <laughs> plastic nerds. That's great. They're plastic nerds, which they might taste the same. I mean, nerds aren't exactly <laughs> the most flavorful of candies. So those are primary microplastics. And then there's also secondary ones. And those are the pieces of bigger pieces of plastic. So um, little fragments of, of water bottles and um, small pieces of film that have broken off from larger pieces of film and styrofoam that's broken down into like those little styrofoam pellet or um, little styrofoam beads um, and then fibers that come off of of clothing and carpets and, and other things that are made from non-natural fabrics. Okay, I want to come back to fibers, but I'm still focused on microbeads. So, so like an individual microbead, do those break down and become microplastics or just when you wash your face or whatever, do they just, are they, you know, as soon as they go into the water stream there, they're microplastics ready to roll? Yeah, they're microplastics. They are made huh. as microplastics and used okay. as microplastics. So yeah, we're just pump. We were for for a time there, and and microbeads are banned now. So um, so you don't see them being um added to our waters 
very frequently anymore. Um, but for a time there, we were just kind of pumping out. Like literally washing them out into the water, huh? Yeah, exactly. So with those secondary microplastics, uh, how do, is this just when plastics like break down or how do they, how do they break down? What causes it? It's a variety of ways. So it can be, um, you know, you throw a water pot. Well, this is a terrible example, but you throw a water bottle out onto the street and it gets run over by a car and breaks up into tiny pieces and washes into the gutter and then ends up in our waterways. Okay. Or it can be that uh, there's larger pieces of plastic out in the environment and and wave action and weather and the sun beating down and, and things like that can can degrade it and it breaks up into smaller pieces that way. And so they just wash out into the water, into the lake or the ocean or whatever. And then so, uh, well, let's talk about the clothes then. So the fibers. So when I buy like clothes, how do I don't understand? How does the plastic from the clothes end up in the water? Is it just a brush off of me or is it, you know, when it rains? I don't what what what's the mechanism there? Yeah, so it can be a variety of different ways. Um, you know, um, just friction, like rubbing your arms as you're walking, can shed fibers. Fleece, I think, are the best example to use because they're essentially made of plastic. I mean, they even advertise a lot of fleeces as being, you know, 75% recycled water bottles and, and you know, things like that. Um, and the very things that make them good at keeping us warm are also the things that make them um, shed fibers, too. So... So, yeah, so just friction um, can do it. You know, walking across a carpet kicks up a lot of of little fibers. But really, um, washing machines are a big, big source um, of, of these things. Because when you put these non-natural fibers in the wash and they get agitated and they rub against each other, it kicks off a lot of these fibers. And then those fibers go into your wastewater and go to wastewater treatment plant. Huh. And do they get filtered out there? Or I guess they don't. They do. Some of them do. Wastewater treatment plants in general are pretty efficient at getting rid of, of microplastics. They settle out into the, the solids, um, you know, at, at, at pretty high rates. You know, sometimes I think, I think I read a paper once that said that, you know, as many as 99% of the plastics in wastewater get filtered out. But we're talking about trillions and trillions and trillions of fibers. Right. So the ones that are getting through are still there's still a lot of them. Huh, right. Cause it's 1% of just such a huge number. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that reminds me, there's a comic, uh, what is it? XKCD, uh, this kind of nerdy comic. They have one uh, where they talk about like the effectiveness of antibacterial uh, hand, uh, hand wash. And it's like 99.9% of bacteria killed. Anyway, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but it's, uh, <laughs> there's still a lot of bacteria on your hand. Even, yeah, even that when 0.1% is still yeah, really yeah. huge, right? Yeah. 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 So, uh, so then what kind of, I so see you mentioned natural fibers. So microplastics come from any non-natural fiber. Is that the case? Like polyester, nylon, what, it, yeah, you know, where do yeah. they come from? Is there one that's worse or better? How's that work? I don't know. That's a great question. Um, but I don't know the answer to that. Uh, the, they all just kind of get lumped together because they're all essentially made from plastic. They're all petroleum based. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, polyester and nylon and, and fleece and um, lycra and sort of all those things that are not cotton or linen or hemp, essentially. There might be others that are natural too, but the wool, of course, you know, those are sort of the, f- the four big ones that are, um, they are also shedding fibers because the friction is, is a, it's not, unique to non-natural clothing, right? Like you're still 
losing fibers from your cotton t-shirts in the washing machine, but because they're made from natural fibers, they naturally break down in the environment in a totally different way. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So all these get washed out into the water and that doesn't sound ideal to tell you the truth. Like, do we know what, what happens to them? So they get, so let's just take Lake Michigan, for example. Uh, everybody in Chicago, uh, uh, sheds their microplastics from their polyester or whatever. Um, yeah. uh, what happens? So well, that's funny that you say that. So in Chicago, we then push all of those fibers downstream. Oh, that's right. <laughs> because we reverse the river. So we send it all down to Peoria and we sent, well, ultimately we send it all down to the Gulf of Mexico, right? Into the Mississippi River and down. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of, a lot of places are still um, using the Great Lakes as, you know, water sources and they're discharging that water into the Great Lakes. And and what's happening is a lot of these are in the water column, they're moving around, they're getting trapped on the shore, and they're sinking into the sediment. So they're sinking down to the very bottom of the lake and kind of, they, they're kind of trapped when they're down there. Um, you know, short of like dredging up all of the bottom material, um, there really isn't any place for them to go once they end up down in the bottom. So if they're down in the bottom, uh, do we know, do they tend to then like, uh, so they just sit there kind of trapped or in train and it's no big deal or, uh, you know, do fish eat them? What is, what happens to them when they're in there? Do we know? So the, um, the bulk of them just sort of end up in the sediments and, and yeah. in a lot of cases they just don't get disturbed. There are things that are feeding at that bottom level, um, but I would say overwhelmingly the things that end up in the sediments end up staying in the sediments. It's really the stuff that's in the water column. I think that has the most, I don't know, potential for like that, those short term impacts, because we don't really know what's going to happen with the stuff that's sitting on the bottom. You right. know, we can't predict that really, but the stuff that's in the water now we know has a really high potential to affect things. Um, and so there's a lot of research going on to figure out whether that's actually happening or not. I see. So when the microplastics go in, some portion of them go to the sediment. I'm starting to get it now. Okay. Yeah. Some portion of them go to the sediments, uh, maybe the majority, but, but, but not all. And so the ones that are up in the water column, uh, it looks like it's starting to have some sort of effect on the, the uh, ecology there, the food chain. Something Maybe, like that. you know, so we, so we have Carolyn Foley with us here too. Right. And she did a great study recently looking at this. Um, and I think she could probably offer some good insight into that. Well, that's excellently uh, transitioned, Sarah. Uh, hi, Carolyn. Carolyn Foley is a uh, Illinois Indiana Sea Grants research coordinator. How are you today? I am doing well, thank you. And yes, I get to be research coordinator a lot of the time, but periodically I get to actually do research, which is <laughs> who watches the Watchmen. Uh, so what? Uh, I'm just reading that right now. I just finished it this morning on the bus ride in. Uh, so I'm, I'm very Watchmen attuned as we speak. Um, anyway, also in a bad mood after that. But regardless, uh, so Carolyn, what happens with uh, in the? What do we know about the water column, and how do we know it? So we know that plastic is there. We know that plastic is in every part of the water column, like Sarah said, down in sediments, up in the water column. We know that it's in places where there are tons of people living. We know that it's in places where there's no one living. There is plastic absolutely everywhere. We know that organisms consume it. Um, there are a lot of different like organisms from 
zooplankton and um, rotifers, really tiny things, all the way up to big salmon um, and birds. They all consume it directly? They can all consume it directly. There are even hmm. some studies way back from where um, the way that researchers were examining whether or not a fish, would, like a larval fish, would eat food was by feeding them plastic pellets. And like, instead of giving them real food, they were, they were trying to look at like a behavioral thing and they were feeding them plastic pellets and they were going after them. And depending on the organism, yeah, it's all like way back. Um, But, and this topic has, you know, the idea that organisms might consume microplastic has been around, you know, since the seventies, people have been thinking about it in the last 10 years or so, there's been a really big effort to try to understand what are the impacts. So like, if they're consuming it, what winds up happening? Yeah, I want to know what happens to humans because we eat fish. So if plastics are going into fish and we eat the fish, then are plastics going into us? Absolutely. Uh. Yes. And there is evidence that the plastic, because even if it doesn't translocate to like the fish tissue, which there is evidence, like they've found plastic microplastics in um, shellfish that are fit, ready to be consumed by humans and things like that. So uh, like, yeah, I would say almost definitely there is a chance that if you're eating a fish, that there's some plastic in that fish. However, Yummy. whether or not it's a problem is really like there's an active debate happening right now, sort of like um, because some people have have actually postulated that by if plastic goes through, would it maybe leach some other contaminants out onto it because of the chemical properties of the plastic? Wait, what? Yeah. So like there was a study where they looked at fish that were consuming plastic and fish that weren't to see, you know, do they have different contaminant burdens in their tissue? Because um, the the chemical property of the plastic is that the contaminant would potentially be attracted to the plastic and be carried on out. There's not a lot of evidence that that's actually happening, but people are trying to figure it out. And so the plastics... You know, they're, they're not necessarily going to cause direct harm the way that some other contaminants might. Like, there are contaminants that are toxic, that are, you know, um, going to cause you to die instantly. Whereas consuming plastic may just mean that you eat less other food if you're a very small fish, for example, because the plastic is in the way. Oh, I thought you meant a person. I was like, so yeah, if I fill up on milk jugs, you know, maybe I won't have room for broccoli. <laughs> I, I do not study humans. I should make that clear. Um, so I, I don't know if I can answer this question. Yeah. But um, yeah. So basically, you know, looking at aquatic organisms at the, you know, at different levels of the food chain, there's not a slam dunk answer that plastics are bad. There's, they are definitely being okay. consumed. In particular cases, they are potentially modifying behavior or causing, you know, that other, um, that you're not eating as much other food or things like that. Or maybe you're being confused by a pellet and going for the plastic instead of for the real food. So you're maybe not that nutritionally awesome for anything that wants to eat you. Right. So it could reduce fitness in a way that uh, uh, is hard to measure, though. Right, exactly. Especially when you consider how many other stressors are 
acting on them all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So are, is that stuff that they're researching? Is that something we're going to get like an answer to that kind of question? Or is it just going to be vague and we don't know because science is hard type of thing? There are a lot of people looking at this um, that all over the world. There are large groups of people who are trying to understand this um, and whether or not, you know, the issue of microplastics being consumed is really a problem. And it seems like if it is a problem, it's more likely that like stuff, biofilms growing on the plastic. Let's pretend I have no idea what a biofilm is. Because I don't. <laughs> I would just say that it's it's more about like the fact that these plastics could be changing the types of organisms that make up the very, very base of the food chain. Yeah. Right, Carolyn? So like the algae and the things like the, I don't know, for lack of a better word, like the scum that's alive in bodies of water, mm. like those things live on microplastics. They can live on microplastics. There was a study done by some folks at Loyola University that showed that like the the stuff that was living on the microplastics coming out of wastewater treatment plants included stuff like E. coli, like stuff that should have been killed in the treatment process was actually making its way through Holy mackerel. Um, because it was living on the microplastics that were getting through. So like it can kind of fundamentally change those things. Is that kind of what you were getting at, Carolyn? Yeah. And I think, so we should note that in no way do we think that algae are actual scum. <laughs> we are simply no. No. them. Yeah. Um, yes. I'm just trying to be as general and colloquial as possible. <laughs> I actually have a lot of good friends who are algae. That's totally true. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, and I think that's, I think that the story and, and this story is far from complete, but the story with microplastics is not necessarily that the plastic itself is a problem. It's that the, pla the fact that the plastic is there is causing changes that could potentially have huge ramifications throughout the food web, including all the way up to humans. Yeah, um, it sounds like we don't even necessarily know the timeline. Like that could be something in a near-term timeline or it could be something that we'd have to look back in 5,000 years, uh, which I'm unlikely to do, frankly. But we'd have to look back, you know, many, many, many generations down the line to see that it was a problem. Does that seem fair to say? Yes, I think so. I keep going back to this idea of the fish eating the plastics from the scum or algae or whatever you want to call it. And then we eat the fish. And so one big thing that I know is that the FDA suggests that everybody eats fish twice per week to get those yummy, delicious nutrients that we need to stay healthy. So one question I have when thinking about choosing which fish to buy is like, is this maybe something that would affect wild fish more than say like fish that have been farmed through aquaculture with high quality water systems or are wild caught and aquaculture fish basically exposed to the same levels of microplastics? That is a fantastic question that I don't have an answer for. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I don't think we have an answer for that. And the, the other thing adding to that is even if you don't look at something like that, like aquaculture versus wild, different species are affected very differently. So it may be that some are, you know, better at processing things and kicking them out. It may be that some organisms at the very base are more likely to go after plastics or learn to avoid them. Um, and that is something where getting back to Stuart's 
science is hard issue. Um, doing these experiments is a ton of work, like keeping the organisms alive, keeping everything exactly the same, except for, you know, exposing them to plastic or not. Exposing them to microfibers gets way harder. Like of the studies we looked at, there were very, very few that actually looked at microfibers because like microbeads you can order, um, microfibers, one of the ways they made a microfiber was they took like polypropylene line, like that yellow line, and they just sort of hacked at it to get little tiny pieces of plastic. And that's what they exposed their arts to. So it's like, you know, so I think it, your, your question hope about like, you know, could it be aquaculture or wild? You could even ask, are there certain species? Because that's what happens with um, other contaminants, right? That like, you know, that certain species tend to uh, bioaccumulate, which means they, they sort of get a bunch of contaminants in their tissues. Um, certain species bioaccumulate more than others because of the way their internal metabolism works. Ah, uh, gotcha. So do we know which species of fish take in more plastic at this point, or it's still just ongoing research? I think it's really ongoing research, but Sarah, go ahead. There was some there was some work done at Loyola that looked at fish consumption and invertebrate consumption um, of microplastics in wild caught fish. Not you know not looking at aquaculture, but um, and and they found that the and they didn't have a huge number of species. Um, you know, again, these are hard. That's a really great point, Carolyn. These are really hard studies to conduct. So oftentimes you're really limited in what you can do. Um, so they caught, you know, kind of smaller fish. But what, what they tended to see was that the fish that were eating things that had higher microplastics loads had more microplastics in their guts. So in particular, they were looking at like round gobies, Round gobies, I think, were the number one fish that they caught. And these were in Great Lakes tributaries. Um, and round gobies had the most microplastics in their guts. And that's probably because they're consuming things like zebra mussels, which are filter feeding and taking in those microfibers and taking in those microplastics at a higher rate than something that's eating, you know, a uh, uh, an invertebrate or a larval fish or, you know, something that doesn't just constantly filter water but what that means though in terms of like the plastics in their guts because we're obviously we're not eating fish guts <laughs> um so so in terms of the plastics moving like from the gut into the tissue i think there's a lot of questions there that are left well this but. is this is really interesting it sounds like there are a lot of questions and a lot of ongoing research some of which we funded and now i think a lot of which is being funded uh uh you know, by uh, even bigger organizations than we are. But so, so we have some questions, but so what do we know about microplastics? We know that they come from almost any plastic we use, right? Uh, a lot with our clothes. Um, we know that they get into the environment and they, some of them accumulate in the sediment. And then we don't know what happens to that over the long term. Some of it stays in the water column where it gets eaten and it can go up the food chain, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Mm. So my long-term business plan of like selling goby dogs in the Chicago region, <laughs> I might have to rethink that. Just do some research well, no, first. Do some research first. Yeah. Well, no, this is my big idea because a goby is like roughly hot dog shaped, right? And Chicago <laughs> yeah. loves their hot dogs. So so this was my big plan was to cook gobies and put them in like hot dog buns with, you know, the pickles and the peppers and, and stuff and the celery, right? Celery salt. Celery salt. Yep. And, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then sell those in the streets of Chicago. Um, but now I'm rethinking. You got to make sure they're kosher, though. <laughs> so moving on from Stuart's crazy idea. So what's being done about these microplastics then? I know that some people that I'm familiar with, but they're all in the natural resources world already. And so they're very conscientious of these things. They're trying to not buy polyester, not buy fleece and choose cotton and linen instead. But like you mentioned earlier, Sarah, that a lot of microplastics were coming from microbeads and face washes. And I know that some of those now, or maybe all of them are illegal. And so what else is being done? What are people doing about this problem? Yeah, microplastics is really kind of a tricky problem because, um, first of all, it's a global issue, right? Like the stuff that's getting into the ocean, it, it moves around. The stuff that ends up in the Great Lakes and in our rivers, you know, it moves. I mean, the this, this stuff that doesn't end up in the sediments and stay put, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a very interconnected issue and there's no like quick band-aid for it. Like how do you get fibers out of of, you know, natural waters, short of filtering them with like a very, very small filter. I mean, I, I, I don't know how you do it. So, um, so like you were saying, like a lot of personal responsibility kind of comes into it. Like if this is an issue that you care about, then I think taking a look at your behaviors and, you know, your consumer habits and, and things like that are, um, are a great way to, maybe not solve the problem, but at least ensure that you're not continuing to contribute to the problem. Um, Cause yeah, it's, it's tricky. You know, whenever I like give a talk about microplastics, that's what people want to hear, right? Well, how do I help? How do I help? And I'm not sure that the answers are super satisfying. What answers do you normally give? Normally I tell people like one of them, well, you know, what you said is that you can start switching to um, wearing natural fibers, natural fiber clothing. Um, and that is a lot harder than it sounds. <laughs> so when you say go to natural fiber clothing, is that saying like go to 90% or more that's cotton or do we want to go like full 100% cotton? Ooh, that's a good Does question. A I mean, I think like if we make smaller changes and then we eventually move up to that 100%, does that help? Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of like the incremental changes, right? Because making these big changes, you know, sort of like in a wholesale fashion all at once is really hard for people. And people tend to not stick with those kinds of changes. So, so yeah, I'm a, a big proponent of like every little bit you can do is fantastic. So, you know, even if it's as simple as not buying plastic water bottles anymore, drinking tap water, using a reusable bottle, you know, we kind of harp on that. That gets harped on, I think, a lot. Um, but like these big pieces of plastic also turn into smaller pieces of plastic a lot of the times, right? So, um, reusable water bottles, not using like Ziploc bags and, um, you know, plastic grocery bags and bringing reusable bags and um, reusable silverware, I think is a great one. Like there's no reason not to bring a fork from home to eat your lunch instead of using a plastic fork. Um, you know, things like that, I think are really small changes that people can make, but they create good habits. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for taking a few minutes with us. And uh, where can people, if they want to find out more about you or follow you on social media or whatever, where should they yeah, go? So we have um, we have a Twitter. Uh, it's at Great Lakes P2. Um, P2 standing for pollution prevention, but being far too long for a Twitter handle. Um, so at Great Lakes P2. And, um, you know, Hope does a fantastic job of trying to share like um, – 
P2 Tuesday information on the Sea Grant Facebook page and the Sea Grant Instagram page. Um, and yeah, I mean, but I can always also be reached um, through email and my contact information's on the Illinois Indiana Sea Grant webpage at iicgrant.org. Fantastic. And so, Carolyn, thanks for all this interesting information. If people want to find out more about the research that's been done and your meta-analysis and other things, where can they go? So, um, where they can learn about some research that Illinois Indiana Sea Grant is doing and has funded, because we have a lot of some of the best microplastic researchers are right here in Illinois and Indiana, um, especially at Loyola University. But um, they can visit the research database at iicgrant.org under research and research projects. You can search topics like microplastics or other contaminants too and see what we've funded. Um, There's also a lot of microplastics research going on right now. You'll see a lot of study stories where people are saying we don't necessarily know what's happening, but there are a few who are really trying to dig in and say, you know, what are the actual effects long-term? Um, if you look for things that are like meta-analysis or um, kind of an overarching review that has some kind of analysis in it, those ones are pretty great. Excellent. Sarah and Carolyn, thank you very much for teaching me about the Great Lakes. And me too. Well, that was a really interesting interview and a really interesting first episode. I'm excited to see where we go over the next few months as people teach me about the Great Lakes. Hope, what is something that you learned about the Great Lakes today? I learned that gobies should not be made into hot dogs. (laughs) (laughs) And that a lot of fish in the Great Lakes feed off of things on the bottom. And there are a lot of microplastics down there. So we should all work on using less plastic. I would first like to point out that uh, don't knock a goby dog until you've tried one. (laughs) Yeah, today I learned that with microplastics, there's still a lot of questions that we have. And it seems like the kind of thing that isn't going away. And so it's really worth investigating these questions. And I'm excited to see where the research goes. Well, Hope, where can people find you on social media? Um, You can follow Illinois Indiana Sea Grant at I-L-I-N-C Grant. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you really want to follow me personally, I don't know why you would. Um, I My handle is at Hope Kira, K-Y-R-A. Thank you so much, Hope. And uh, instead of following me, just go to iicgrant.org and check out all the great work we do. And we'll see you next month. <laughs>